Did you know that all of us are carrying silent diseases in our body? It's true. We carry things in us. We don't know anything about it until there's a visible manifestation of it. That's what happened to Lucia in 2016, 2017, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Well, the cancer was there long before she was diagnosed, long before she felt a bump, and that's how diseases work. They work silently in our bodies, and then all of a sudden, we are aware of it. In some cases, it's too late. Did you know the local church is similar? There's an analogy here. Sin is a silent killer that can infect an entire body. Without careful attention and practical engagement, it can destroy It can destroy a local church. Your church could become a Corinthian church, and you only wake up to it after it happens. This reality is why Paul was writing to an infected church. Corinth was a broken church. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, you are familiar with it, Paul was addressing one of the perverted outcomes of their brokenness. A man was sleeping with his father's wife. That's what we know about it. But I want you to think about this text because in this text, it is absolutely essential to note the primary point and force of Paul's address to the Corinthian church. Here it is. He was primarily speaking to the church, not this man's sin. If you miss this point, it could prove tragic for your local church. Paul dealt with the man's sin. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but his main concern was the local church, 1A, 1B. 1A, Paul's concern, the local church, 1B, yeah, we have sin here. Christ is serious about the purity of his body. Paul was articulating a similar level of severity for the holiness of the body of Christ. There was something wrong with the Corinthian church. They had drifted from holiness And it was only because they were adrift that this kind of sexual immorality was taking place. The disease was silent long before this man showed up on anybody's radar, and that's the issue. Instructively, the Corinthian church did not learn about this man's sin when Paul wrote his letter to them. They already knew he was sinning, but they were not biblically responsive to his transgressions, hence the letter from Paul, to readjust their thinking about a serious problem in the church, about practical biblical love, which was a more significant issue. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is Excellent Ideas That Will Help Your Church Before 
it's too late. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. You can go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, Excellent Ideas That Will Help Your Church Before It's Too Late. It's so important that you understand what I'm communicating here. The Corinthian letter, it was a letter written to an infected church. There was this there was this manifestation of sin, and it was important, but it wasn't the primary issue. And so here's the question that I want you to wrestle with, to reflect upon as I work through this podcast. Are there people in your church living in sin, but are not being engaged by the local body to help them repent of their sin? You remember what I said earlier? The Corinthian church did not learn about this man's sin when Paul wrote the letter to them. They they already knew about it. Are there people in your church living in sin but are not being engaged by the local body to help them repent? Are there husbands and wives living in dysfunction right now? You know about it. But the body is not challenging these couples with the hope of restoring them to each other and to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul said this, same passage, he said, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Heed the warning. If sin is left to heal itself on its own, it will not heal, but will grow and fester like cancer and eventually destroy the whole body. And so I want to give you a few practical questions, and then I will launch into the podcast. So my hope here is that you can assess yourself and assess your local church. Number one, how are you leading your local body with a hope that it does not become like the Corinthian church? Number two, How are you leading your family, a smaller unit, in maintaining the purity of the gospel? And it it doesn't matter where you land in your family. If you're the husband, if you're the wife, if you're the child, the question applies to all of you. How are you leading to maintain the purity of the gospel? Question number three, what person in your local church is not walking with God What do you plan to do to be part of the process of restoring them to Christ? We're talking about acknowledging that there is a silent disease in the church, and you want to be preemptive and proactive in in eradicating it. Let me share with you a day in a pastor's life. Pastor Biff is overworked. His inbox is full. The phone seemingly never stops buzzing. People outside his church also want his help, while many of the church families were struggling in their marriages. In addition to all these things, he has to run the church administration, I'm talking about, while preparing two messages each week. When I ask who was caring for him, who's caring for your wife, who's caring for your children, Pastor Biff laughed. He said, there is no more room in the end. I barely have time to read my Bible, and quite frankly, I I use a lot of my preaching prep as my devotional time. I have two or three guys who are doing well in the church, but I spend so much time putting out fires, running the church, sermon prep, that there is no time to equip them adequately. 
That's a day in the life of Pastor Biff. Paul's vision for the church looked differently from what Pastor Biff is doing. He said this in Ephesians 4. I'll only share part of it. You know it quite well. He says he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, etc., etc. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Pastor Biff is busy. There is no doubt about it. Today's pastor knows that Biff's schedule demands are normative. The workload of a pastor is more than showing up on Sunday from 10 to noon, as the joke goes. The real issue for Pastor Biff is not that he is busy, but that he is too busy in some ways that do not best serve his local church. As you can probably surmise into it, that this church is set up to have a, a big pandemic, a manifestation of sin, because the pastor can't equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so rather than equipping the saints to do the work, he functions like a firefighter who spends too much time putting out trouble, whether the problems are among his congregation or other churches. He goes from one issue to the next, and firefighter Biff has no time to do the preventative care that causes all these fires. Pastor Biff is going to have to make a decision, a paradigm-shifting one that will affect the entire culture of his church. He has to rethink his values, his vision, his practice as it pertains to equipping the saints. This transition will not be smooth, but he's between a rock and a hard place. I consult with local churches as part of what I do in this ministry and busyness is one of the most common themes of these leaders. Busyness is a definition of pastoral ministry. And as long as there is sin in the world and God's love in the hearts of pastors, this won't change. The real issue and the practical solution is not necessarily to be less busy, but to be more biblically efficient in soul care practices. We can all agree that Jesus loved people. Even those who rejected excuse me, even those who rejected him were impressed by his love for others. No one bumped into Christ and did not feel his affection for them. Even those who talked about Christ told us about his great love for others. For example, John said, For God so loved the world, we hear about the love of God as manifested through Christ that he gave his only begotten son. Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When people talked about Christ, they talked about his love. The question is not whether Christ loved people, but what did love look like in his ministry? That's the idea. Though Jesus loved everyone equally, he loves everybody equally. He did not help everyone equally. Yes, Christ is love. Christ loves people. Christ loves all people equally, but he did not help everyone equally. 
The four Gospels represent his calendar, his time management practices. And when you peek into his practices, his time management practices, you see him loving equitably, but equipping particularly. Christ devoted the bulk of his teaching, his wisdom, his training, his instructing and equipping for those he planned to turn his mission over to when he left. From the day he called the disciples to follow him until the day he ascended, he was evaluating, envisioning, equipping, testing, and then re-evaluated, re-envisioned, re-equipped, and retested his core group of leaders. Loving people does not mean giving them all your time. If Jesus gave all of the believers that he encountered his best time, they would have received excellent care, but it would have been it would have altered his mission. One of the best things Jesus did was devote the majority of his time to his primary leaders. You and I are in part receiving Christ care through that handful of leaders that he developed 2,000 years ago. If he had spread himself so thin like what Pastor Biff is doing, that he could not equip his core team like what Pastor Biff cannot do, the group would not have been ready to step into his place after he left, and, he, and we would feel the effect today of his altered mission back then. But his mission was not altered. And though he loved everybody equally, he did not equip everybody equally. He had a mission. And so he identified his core group. And this is what Biff is going to have to do. He's going to have to change or die. But everybody's not going to be happy with that. Sister Mabel has loved Jesus longer than most of the folks at her church have been alive. They say that she is a wonderful saint of God whom they want to emulate. She's the first at the building each Sunday, and no one can remember the last time she missed the ladies' Bible study, except during the heavy snow of 87. Most of the 30-something mothers had been students in her Sunday school class when they were toddlers. She is Mama Mabel to everyone. Of course, it doesn't hurt her fame to keep a stash of peppermints in her oversized pocketbook. Like ducklings following their mother duck, the kids line up each Sunday hoping Mama Mabel will dole out a piece of candy. She's an adorable and indispensable fixture in her church. It's hard to imagine what life in the church would be like if she were not there. But she is also representative of the old guard who wants things always to be how they have always been. Though she's never unkind when stating her preferences, you're never left wondering what she wants you to do. If it was good enough for her, it's good enough for everyone, and there's no reason to change. But since Pastor Biff took over the church, there has been moderate growth. The sparsely populated church, composed of middle-aged and an elderly demographic was gaining some momentum and favor among the younger couples and singles in the community. Pastor Biff was not compromising the gospel. No, he, he didn't turn the church into a seeker-sensitive church, though he did connect with a broader range of people that God was using to grow the church. 
Even the older folks in the church loved him and were glad to see fresh faces among the congregation, but they had old ways of doing things. For example, Mama Mabel believed the pastor should come and eat her prized dinner casserole at least once a quarter. The previous 11 pastors at Corinth Baptist did this. She expected Pastor Biff to do the same. Pastor Biff is part of a growing number of pastors who have been rethinking what soul care looks like, especially in light of the mandate from Ephesians 4. He saw no way he could continue to pastor this church the way they expected and adequately care for the folks in a way in which they needed care. The old guard was not cryptic in letting Pastor Biff know what they expected. Pastor Biff still does not know what possessed him that fateful Sunday night when he yelled at Mama Mabel, do you want my attention or do you want my care? Though his attitude was sinful, his thought was biblical. Haven't you done that before? You had a biblical idea, but you communicated it in an awful way. Pastor Biff understood the demands of his schedule. He had to shepherd his heart. He had to care for his wife. He had to care for his family while figuring out how to care for his church effectively. One of his goals was to create a quality of care that was transformative. A healthy body with proper care has a self-sustaining immune system that can heal itself. This church had a silent disease, and Pastor Biff knew it, and the old guard didn't perceive it, and they wanted things to stay the same. And so Pastor Biff told his core group that it was humanly impossible to give every person, including Mama Mabel, his church, in his church, his undivided attention. He helped them to understand how every person could receive his care, but it would not be through him, but through them equipping the saints. He asked them if they would commit to carrying this vision throughout their body. They agreed. He did not want to have a huge staff to provide care for the church. Fiscally, the church could not afford that. Additionally, he did not believe that paid employees needed to implement his vision. Biff knew that if he could equip a small group of couples who thought as he did and practiced his practices, each member of his church could receive his care through these individuals whom he was providing this personal envisioning and equipping. It would look like what Jesus did. When he fed the multitudes with bread and fish, Jesus did not individually carry bread and fish to each person, man, woman, and child. There were 5,000 people there, not counting the women and children. It was, it was physically impossible for Jesus to care for that many people. He provided what his team needed so they could distribute the provision to the hungry. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is how Mark said it, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. 
Jesus had a team working, helping, and because he he envisioned and equipped this core group of people, they were able to to serve thousands of people just on that one day. The starting point for Pastor Biff, of course, and this is always the starting point, was not with his core group, but it is a, but in his own heart. He had to begin by pursuing Christ personally. Secondly, he needed to provide a similar kind of care for his wife and and children. Biff understood that without modeling the Christ life, in his heart, number one, his life, in his family, number two, the depth and realness of his teaching would fall flat, would fall short. He did not want to be just a carrier of a message, but he wanted to be affected by the message that he carried. And so he understood that he had to labor within concentric circles, and he was in the middle of the circle. Equipping the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry begins in the heart of the equipper and then works out into his most personal and immediate relationships. In Pastor Biff's case, it worked out into his wife first, and then his children And then he could work it out into his core group, and that's the process. So number one is Biff. Number two, wife and family. Number three, thirdly, Biff had to find a core group of two or three couples who not only embraced his vision for soul care in the context of the local church, but were actively living it out personally in their families. Follow me as I follow Christ. And once he found them, He was ready to go. They became what he called his Peter, James, and John group, PJJG, Peter, James, John group. Peter, James, and John, as we understand the four Gospels, they received the most of Jesus' time. They were the core within the core, working within concentric circles. Biff created a church within a church with the expectation of equipping this core group to do the work of the ministry. His Peter, James, and John group became his small group leaders. Biff started meeting with them in in these contexts. He started meeting with the men individually. Then he started meeting with the couples. And then he met with the group as a whole, more concentric circles so he could do more precise work privately with the men individually, and then work with the couples, helping them in their marriages, and then the group as a whole, which will impact the larger group of the local church. Each husband and wife began to lead a small group, modeling and teaching what they were learning from Pastor Biff. In time, the church caught the vision Though every member of the church does not get on Biff's calendar, Mama Mabel, each person is receiving Biff's care through those whom he is equipping to do the work of the ministry. This model that I just presented to you is an effective, doable, practical way for Pastor Biff to be something other than a firefighter running from issue to issue, from problem to problem, but this is preventative work that roots out any disease that could be festering inside of a local church. The most common aspect of all the people that I have counseled as I reflect upon my 
multi-decade now counseling career is a lack of substantive, vibrant, authentic, relational connection with their local churches. This is a common aspect with virtually every person that I have ever counseled. I'm not saying that these people did not attend a local church. The majority of them did. But for too many, their attendance and participation in their local churches were superficial. Though what I'm about to say is oversimplistic, I have seen two primary culprits for the progressive sanctification breakdown in some of these local churches. Number one, church people are not forthcoming about what is going on in their lives. They're not being honest and not being transparent about what's going on in their lives. And leaders are preoccupied or are not, ta- or not asking the right kinds of questions of their people. It's a twofold problem that is common, and I've seen it over and over again, that people are not transparent about their lives and that leaders are preoccupied or they're not asking the right kinds of questions. It's not my desire here to throw rocks at anyone, but I do have a vital burden for God's church. The Lord has called me to bring care to it, and one of the ways I can do this is by letting you know what I am regularly running into with the people, with some of the Christians whom I serve. I do believe that the best place outside of your home Your home is number one, but the best place outside of your home for transformation to take place is within the context of the local church. Now, although that we are a parachurch organization, there is no question, it is documented over and over and over again that we maintain a high view of the local church, and we encourage all people that we serve to become actively involved in the ministry of a local church to mature and progress in their sanctification. I believe if people can apply the practical gospel to their lives while contextualized in a Christ-centered local church. They will then be able to love God and to love their neighbors in ways that make God's name great. I long for the day when church members are willing to be transparent about the real stuff in their lives. And I also desire that leaders are envisioned and equipped with proper soul care. There are thousands of leaders who are caring for their local churches in fantastic ways, and they have discipleship context where folks can change and grow. Some pastors are working feverishly, frenetically, but they are all alone. These are heroic leaders. These are wonderful pastors and they are carrying an incredible load, and they're doing the work. They're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I commend them, and I I praise God for them. But on the front lines where I work, I see busy people. I see busy leaders who need help in tackling this progressive sanctification breakdown problem. I encourage an appeal to both the laity and the leadership. My call to the church member is for honesty, openness, transparency about the real stuff in your life. And I want to serve leaders in showing them how to bring care to the people 
that the Lord has called them to shepherd. The title of this podcast is Excellent Ideas That Will Help Your Church Before It's Too Late. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 5 where we we hear about, this is the billboard. This is what we know about 1 Corinthians 5, and if you don't think deeply about it, you'd miss the force of what Paul is actually doing But the billboard is, and what we know about it is, is a guy sleeping around with another man's wife. And that's what we talk about. But that is not what Paul was writing about primarily. They already knew what this guy was doing. They already knew that there was sin in the camp. And so Paul was writing to let them know that this church is infected. There is a silent killer. It's not silent anymore. It's going to take this church down, and you need a better plan than what you have. Church leader, church member, I appeal to you to read the articles on our website. We have a wonderful page layout that you can jump on, and there are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of articles, literally, that you can read. And if you need a specific article for a specific question, then would you write us? Jump on our free forums. We have people who support our ministry financially so that we can provide these resources freely to you. And if you want to know if you got a specific question or concern about your local church, maybe it's about something else, that's fine. Jump on our forums and say, hey, point me in the right direction for this. Number two, would you pray for your local church? Asking God how you can help to bring more transparent unity to it. I would also encourage you to get my book, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. I wrote this book specifically to help people in the change process, and God has used it wonderfully uh, to help many people already. Again, the title of this, Excellent Ideas That Will Help Your Church Before It's Too Late. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.